This is the Tame Aperture Podcast. Open the pod bay doors, Tom. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the Tame Aperture Podcast, where we talk all things movies from first-time directors, indie, art house, and much more. Go check us out at www.tameaperture.com for previous episodes and to make suggestions on future episodes. Today on the podcast, we talk the 1998 neo-noir film Following by Christopher Nolan. A young writer living in London follows people in the hope of using their lives in his novels. But the hobby becomes an obsession and he soon finds himself going further than intended. The film was released in April of 1999 on a budget of $6,000 and runs a short 70 minutes and was written and directed by Nolan himself. I'm Gabe Wienendorf, filmmaker, film instructor, and movie enthusiast, and I'm joined today by Alan Martindale, veteran podcaster and editor. Alan, how the hell are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm actually, actually, no, I'm a little disappointed. Uh-oh. Because Brandon picked this movie. Yeah. And he's not here. Right. And I had some questions to ask him because this seems like the plot of this movie seems like something that he would do. Like something he I, would make? Yeah, no, no. Oh. Something that he would do in his daily oh, life. I can, pers- I, I can picture him. You know, you know, honey, uh, it, it's a late call time tonight. You know, we're going to be shooting all night, go to bed and just going out on the street and just following people around, being a creeper. You know, just like with his long hair and, he, and he's got that that uh, paper boy hat on and just kind of creeping in the shadows. I can totally see it. I can see that, too. I can totally see it. He may he may have done that. And too bad he's not here today to explain that because he would explain it in, 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 in very in, explicit detail, in, in explicit detail. Give us all the the 411 on his exploits as a shadower. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just convinced. I'm convinced. I wonder, you know, when he made this suggestion, I don't think he had seen the film. I don't think so either. So now that he's seen it, or the hope would be that he watched it, even though he's not here, he did his prep work. Do your homework, bitch. Do your homework, bitch. (laughs) Come on. Come on. Um, That he would, if he, even if he hasn't done it, now that he's seen the film, he probably will. Right, right, right. Would be my guess. He'd be so sloppy, though. He'd be so sloppy at it. (laughs) He'd be so sloppy at it. He won't be. He won't be quite as uh, as sly Definitely as the not. young man, which is a no named protagonist, by the way. You get into this film, and like there is no name to the lead character. Right. Well, he says his name is. I can't remember. He tells Cobb. Does he tell him it? Yes, but I'm oh, not sure I, it's a real name. I think he gave him a fake name. Yeah. And then later on, he uses I think a it's different. To throw him off. Yeah. Um, because at, in the credits, he's just he's credited right. as the young man. Well, and Cobb is also the name of Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Inception. I noticed that. Yeah. Now I have I have seen this film many many years ago, and I don't remember a whole lot of it. It, it this was probably a decade ago, like ten mm-hmm. years ago, and it was on Netflix. Yeah, it was on Netflix. It's not there now. Nope. But it was then, and I remember watching it, and initial reaction was like I was a little bit skeptical and a little bit bored. Mm -hmm. But on this rewatch, some of those things and some of those feelings changed a little bit. I I would agree with that. And so um, essentially, uh, had you seen this film before? Yeah, same thing. It was years ago, and it was kind of the same thing. I think I maybe even stopped halfway through. I think I I swear I did too. I was like, "Eh, like, eh." it, it might be a mood thing. Right. 
I, I that's funny because we're probably in the same situation. But, and, the, but this time it was it was definitely more intriguing. It was definitely slower at the beginning. In fact, when I uh, hopped in the car, uh, Jess, my girlfriend, was watching it. I told her you should watch it. You know, you'll, I think you'll like it. It's pretty good. And she just texted me when I got here, like that ending, because I could tell she's not really into it when I left. Yeah, know, she's on the couch and it was just like, okay, yeah. But it, it definitely sucks you in more as you go along. I, I, I like the editing though. I think that's what does it. The editing's fantastic. We'll get into that. Also, the ending is powerful. I think yeah. it's really well structured, and it has to do a lot with how they put it together editorially. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll do a quick. You know, we read through the synopsis, but a quick introduction right out the gate. Give me a quick impression on your your thoughts on Nolan in general. So this film's about twenty years old, just a little over. It's his first feature. Knowing that, as before we get into the film and a little bit of scene by scene and, and all the ratings and everything, what's your uh, what's your takeaway on Nolan? I I'm actually a big Christopher Nolan fan. I know it's a little controversial in the in people who are really into film because you, it seems like people either love him or they can't stand him. Yeah, I'm a big Nolan fan. Like I I love Inception. I think Inception's like it's one of my favorite movies that came out uh in the last whatever however many years it was like i i love it i've watched it four or five times i could still watch it again i love it it is a rewatchable yeah like you can see that movie multiple times and always walk away with a little bit of excitement it's entertaining it's a good emotional ride mm -hmm. uh, i think that is a well put together film right um and i think it deserves the mostly the applause that it gets critically in from the audiences. I think mostly it got pretty good reviews overall. I think so. I and I did you think that was convoluted and confusing? You, you know, I didn't. You I know, didn't either. What I thought was a little harder and more complex of a storyline was later with Interstellar. Yeah. Interstellar was uh it was, it was quite a bit sloppier. I actually still liked it though. But it was uh, it was a little bit sloppier. So I went to that film <clears throat> I guess that came out in twenty 15 i want to say let's see no 2014 2014 because i went to that so get this um me and brandon and todd our friend todd went to we were at the american film market in mm -hmm. santa monica and uh the market ended that day we wanted to go see a film it happened to be november interstellar had just come out very that week or the week before and uh, we had driven down to Hollywood to go see the film at mm -hmm. the Cinerama Dome on Sunset Boulevard, and uh, which is just a cool, iconic location. And um, went to the film, came out, Todd and Brandon were jizzing in their pants. <laughs> they loved it. As Brandon is wont to do. Brandon, at times. It's true. <laughs> but they loved it. They thought it was this fantastic movie. Um I was more confused and kind of more skeptical. Sure. I didn't understand it all. There's some dumb shit in there, too. And there's things, you know, but the the point is I, we walked out of there and I was, uh, there was a level of disappointment. I was like, eh, it wasn't, I, I, they were loving it, just right. applauding. And I was just like, I just shrugged my shoulders like, eh. yeah, I really did. Uh, I watched it later and there's a little more growth and appreciation for me as I watch it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but that movie, and you're talking about like Inception, you know, or people saying maybe Inception's convoluted in the way that it's put together. Mm -hmm. I think Interstellar is much more convoluted. Oh, for sure. I agree. In what he's trying to do. But 
Plus the whole like love is the is the way to fight. That like, was the big thing for me. And you would so think stupid. as a father of a daughter who I love to death right. and would do anything for, that would be a powerful emotional draw. But it wasn't. It well, just didn't. The idea that love will save it uh, after you've built this scientific world and these right. complex situations, it didn't do it for well, me. And especially now this is going to sound weird considering some of the subject matter of his films, but he is he is kind of more grounded in reality if you it, like obviously um inception's crazy wild but you think about batman the batman trilogy but here's the thing real quick because you're right but also it's i agree with you it's not necessarily i mean inception's really about a father trying to get back to his kids totally totally like there it's, i connected with that yeah way i did more, too for sure way more and i like inception a lot but you're right like he does tend to like go what appears to be heavy mm -hmm. and 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 complex, but if you break them down on a more subtle level, it's a dad trying to get back to his kids. Right, right. And it, even in an Interstellar, it's kind of that idea too, where he's trying to get back to his kid, and then the the relationship between him and his daughter. It's mm -hmm. those are, those are the real draws, and then it's built on these real more convoluted, more complex for ideas. For sure, for sure. So you're right. He he he's kind of. There is a based in reality uh, concept. Yeah, to it, I mean, he, he made Batman realistic, if that's even possible. I mean, it, it's not. Well, we realistic. haven't even talked about those yet, right? And and I love those movies. I absolutely love. I'm not a big superhero film. I I just I but I love that trilogy. I think it's so good. Obviously, The Dark Knight is. I mean, it's probably the greatest superhero movie ever. I I wouldn't even I hesitate to call it a superhero movie because it it feels like it's on another level. And, and everybody loves the Dark Knight. I love the Dark Knight. You know, for me though, Batman Begins yeah. is, is just. A, it, and I had seen an interview with Nolan, and he said, you know, we didn't initially build this to do sequels. We just mm -hmm. kind of built it as a one-off. And I like that. It's it's similar to Star Wars: A New Hope. Sure. Where like it's a one-off standalone. For sure. And it doesn't need anything else to support it. You for know? sure. And for I like sure. that about Batman Begins. It's as an origin story to a comic book character it's so good it is because you actually you actually see the journey it, it's not rushed through yeah like a lot of them are you see his growth and his change from who he was to who he becomes mm -hmm. and uh and then of course you're right the dark knight is great it's so good it, i mean we know heath ledger's performance is fantastic it's insane christian bell's great christian bell's a great batman I think he is too. Uh, people, I think he is too. I, 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 the voice aside or the silliness of the, the voice deep, is a little, a little weird, but but still, it's so good. The thing about that trilogy, though, and this is not a knock on Nolan, but it's 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 you can't keep that trajectory going, right? And so for me, uh, uh, Dark Knight Rises, it's okay. I thought it was good until the ending. It got I, a little wonky at the end. I didn't have the, you know, it's that, it's that rise of, and that, like I said, that trajectory. It's mm -hmm. almost, and that's not a knock on him. I think that he did a great job. He's a great filmmaker, sure. but like, you can't really keep me, you can't keep it sustained. I mean, we like sports. So the comparable would be like, LeBron James doesn't win championships every year. Right, right. right. He gets to the finals, but right. he doesn't win. And, and that's kind of how I see this, that third installment of mm -hmm. that trilogy. It's like, okay, it doesn't compare to one and two. For sure. And it kind of falls off that path of trajectory. It's still good. Yeah, He, he made the good. finals, but he didn't yeah, right, win the championship. Right, right. I, let's call this a conference finals. 
I agree. Because it was, I mean, it was. To be honest, I'm not, it could be a semi-finals. A, a yeah, it, it semifinals. could be. I, I just, I, I love the character of Bane. And th- there was a point where he just kicks the shit out of Batman. And I love that scene. That stuck with me. But the twist is really stupid. The ending's really stupid. So there's just some things in there. And you kind of see this happening more as we get later into his career where things just get a little bit dumber. Yeah. I didn't know. I, I saw Insomnia. I didn't even know he directed that. Yeah. I haven't seen Insomnia for since it came I, out. It, to me, it was kind of, I mean, it was okay, but it was forgettable. But I haven't seen it since it came out either. So I'd be interested in going back and actually watching that again. I, it's funny because I don't recall it being the most memorable of Al Pacino's performances. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know there's they're classical Al Pacino performances. Right. But that doesn't ring a bell not, in his yeah. portfolio for me. Right. So Robin get, Williams is good in it, though. Yeah. He's really good, good in everything. He, I mean, he's a great actor. I, wasn't, I, I And this is not just a thing of, like, let me give a memoriam to right. Robin Williams. I can't really think of anything he's not good in. Uh, as an actor, I, I loved him. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of him as a comedian, though. I thought his stuff was pretty good. It was I, a little a little too spaz, spazzy for me. For me, I guess that's why I kind of liked it, because it's probably opposite of who I would be. Right. And I kind of liked that he just was unabashed and sure. went for it. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, he does great in that film. Um, that's his third film, Insomnia. Following is his first film, as we mentioned. And uh, I think we got a good consensus on Nolan. I think we both have a pretty heavy appreciation. We like mm-hmm. his stuff. Um I'm actually this year excited to see Tenant. I, I am too. I think that looks great. Yeah. And uh, John John David Washington, uh, Denzel's son, who stars in it. So it's if if he carries the mantle that his father's, you know, Those put together. Big shoes, man. That's huge shoes like, to fill. I don't know how huge you do shoes that. Huge to fill. <laughs> but uh, it looks really good. I thought it looked really good. So we'll, we'll wait to see. But let's jump back to the fo- – I want to keep saying the following, like I have to put the article right. in front of it. But it's not. It's just called following. And um, from the opening credits, he always has some kind of uh, musical assistance to his film. His, his scores are always really sh- – they're strong. They're almost mel- melodramatic. Mm-hmm. But, I, but not in a – because sometimes that can be a bit uh, – for lack of a better word, like cheesy or for sure. his melodrama and it works. It fits. It, it definitely fits. fits. Like it doesn't feel um, campy or anything of mm-hmm. that nature, but the opening credits is, is right from the get go, a bunch of insert shots. And I like how he introduces the idea of like the box. Mm-hmm. It's the opening credits, this m- melodramatic music playing and it's a guy searching through a box and it kind of opens up a door of curiosity for me about uh, what's going on. And then immediately we get introduced to our protagonist who is the young man is what we'll call him. And he starts, I think, um, well, it actually says here, and I don't know that this is the name that he gives Cobb later, but it says Bill. Is that the yeah, name he I think, says? Uh, I think that's what he tells. So maybe that, maybe that truly is his name, it but it's, it's just kind of an interesting thing. Cause they don't credit him that way. Yeah. Yeah. That I recall. So, but then he, we'll, we'll call him Bill. I guess, yeah. Should we? We'll identify him as Bill because that's easy. I remember him having a couple different names, but Bill is a lot easier. Bill's sure. easier. He's... It, but from the from the get go, just based on my uh, previous attempts to watch the movie, and I, I again, it's been years since I've seen it. It opens up and it's uh, black and white, and it's 
yeah. the 4-3 aspect ratio. 4-3, yeah. So immediately I'm thinking, oh, God, this is going to be another pretentious Martin Scorsese. You're like, who's that who's, knocking, who's that at, knocking my at my door type bullshit? And I'm, I'm already primed to hate it. Because uh, so by the way, for those that don't know, the four by three is the sidebars, the black bars on the side doesn't right. u- doesn't utilize the whole uh, framing of the of the of the sixteen by right. So right, it used to be what TV was it, exactly was shot in. Um, but you immediately you were thinking pretentious. Yeah, I'm thinking, oh god, another you know great director who started out super pretentious and in love with his you know smell of his own farts. <laughs> And uh, I was pleasantly surprised that that's not really what happened. I still don't quite understand the choice to go with that aspect ratio, though. It's probably a, uh, something to do with cost association. I mean, you got to remember uh, they were shooting on 16 millimeter. I'm not sure why. It could have been how they eventually deliver it for print. Uh, there's a lot of things I'm guessing okay. here. But I'm just saying I almost think it potentially had something to do with cost. Okay. See, I was thinking it was probably a creative choice, but that, that it could, probably it could also sense. be that. So I don't right. want to, I don't want to speak out my ass like I know what I'm talking about. But I just know that that maybe it had to do with something in processing and print later on, because um, you're not using as much, you don't pay could as be. much. Could be. Could um, be. But Bill starts speaking about his habit of following people. I like the narration. I think um, narration's tricky. Yeah, it's hard to do well. It's hard to do well. Uh, if you're a good writer. And the dial or the monologue flows, uh, it can be compelling. Mm-hmm. And I think it really is compelling. I think so too. The thing about Nolan is, I think he's a super smart guy, like intellectually, like in, you know, based sure. on interviews or watching his films, of For course. Sure. He, he's very, he's, he seems almost a bit serious. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a knock. It just, he's like very, knows who he is and knows the, the framework that he wants to be right. in. Uh, I think his writing is really good. He writes this monologue where Bill starts talking about his habit of following people and how why he started. And essentially, we get the concept that Bill's a writer, or I should say an aspiring writer. He's not really a, quote-unquote, uh, even professional writer. Right. But he's trying, and he wants to be a writer. And really what ends up happening is he's doing everything and anything he can that doesn't involve writing. And anybody yep. that's been a writer or written even small things understands that the difficulty of, of writing. It's hard. It's very hard. It's hard. What, what I find interesting about writing is that it's the simplest thing to do in terms of accessibility because everybody has access to a pen and paper. Right. Or in our day, a computer. But just having access to the medium uh, doesn't make the approach to it easier to do. And Bill's just doing that. He's like, everything I can do to not be there, sitting there trying to type or write, uh, I'm going to do that. And what it leads to is him observing other people. And he basically introduces it and says, I started observing people. And then after I started observing him, because he was kind of looking for um, motivation Mm -hmm. and, and, and different influences for his writing. And then it leads to him actually kind of an adrenaline junkie it's almost For like sure. a voyeuristic approach in some ways of like following people not in a and he starts telling this to the which which is the uh, who's the uh, we'll find out later in the end of the film who he's talking to but ultimately he's just explaining that he would follow people around and it wasn't even in a and particularly women right but it 
but the way he says it, and it, he, 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 I feel like he, he comes across believable. It wasn't even a sexual thing. And no, he does no. say that. He says it specifically. Uh, but he was just curious about where people would go, and it felt like he almost create, would create a connection with them, even though they didn't know he was following them. Right. Well, and, and he, said, uh, he said something. There's a line where he said, have you ever been to, to a stadium for a football match and you know for us we go to mm. basketball games a lot mm-hmm. but have you ever done that actually where you where you go to you're in a stadium and you look around and you actually do pick out someone in the crowd yeah and he's absolutely right they become a person they're yeah. not just a member of the crowd anymore they're an individual now yeah that was a very interesting way to tie it together and it made perfect sense 100 percent. it's it goes back to that idea of of good uh writing Mm-hmm. And also, you're 100% right because you know what's interesting is like if you go, it could be a game, a sporting event, it could be a theme park. Right, like, right. Those observational qualities, we all have that tendency to right. some degree. We can be uh, transfixed on something or someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of my, one of the, my dad loves when we go to like Disneyland or if you go to a theme park. He almost gets a kick on sitting on a bench and watching people. And watching people. people. Right, right. Right? And uh, this is not an uncommon thing or a creepy thing. Like, a lot of people do that. It's people watching super fun. It's super interesting. And you're right. They become, it becomes a little more personal right. in a sense. It doesn't, they're not just a floating object walking by. Right. They're actually, like you said, and, and like they say in the movie, and like Bill explains, they're a real person and there's an attachment of sorts. And especially, like, if you're on the street. And I heard someone say this once, and I don't remember who it was, but I'm going to lift it and... Make myself look smart. When I'm out there, uh, when I'm driving or when I'm in the in in public doing something, other people just feel like obstacles to me. They just feel like things that are in the way of my progress to get to where I'm trying to go or to do what I'm trying to do. Driving especially. Exactly, especially driving. Uh, but when you are able to kind of focus in on someone, like have you ever seen someone two different places in the same day? Yeah. Yeah, and and then you notice them. Like, you, you notice them the second time, and me, I pay a little bit closer attention to them and kind of what they're doing, and they they become a, they're no longer an obstacle to me. Now they are, they're kind of a point of intrigue. Yeah. It's like, you know, it just, it's just a weird coincidence that you see them. So I kind of like it in that, in, in, that, um, in that respect, and it kind of makes me wonder what it would be like if you just decided to if follow someone that. all day. Yeah, and he initially calls it shadowing. Shadowing, right. But... And then if, yeah, it would be kind of interesting. I mean, Brandon's doing it right now. Brandon's That's doing it. That's why he's not here. That's why he's not here. Yeah. So, but Bill, he's he's when he's doing this voiceover, he's actually talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a character delivering a, a narrative voiceover, but it's we uh, we don't know who he's talking to, but it's the concept later is revealed that he's actually revealing information about his uh, his protocols right. as a follower. So he starts talking about this habit of following people. Really well done, well written, like you had explained, and also made it feel uh, relatable so that we could understand what was happening. And then uh, he, it, it kind of goes on in the storyline. He basically, he gets busted. Mm-hmm. So like what happens- Because he breaks his rules. Because he breaks his own rules. Right. And he's very intrusive and he's following this guy. And I love how this is how this plays out because when you're watching it, you're like, you're kind of intrigued with Bill. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like, ooh, who is he following now? And they go into this cafe, and he's eyeballing this guy. And then all of a sudden, you, you think something's going to happen. You don't know what's – you think it's just kind of normal 
But the guy that he's following stands up and confronts him. And you're like, oh, shit, it's going to get it's right. going to get serious here. Right, right. So uh, this is revealed at the cafe. This is a guy by the name of Cobb, and he starts quizzing. He sits right down, has no reservation about confronting Bill about his, I, I know you've been following me. Right. I know what you're doing. I know you're not a cop. You're not a cop. You're not a detective. Whatever it is, you, you know, he, he starts kind of drilling into him. And uh, it's. I love how this character is introduced because – you just think it's a guy that noticed someone's following him, mm-hmm. but the reality is Cobb is a bit of a, uh, a not, he's not a, well, he's a petty thief, essentially, yeah. yeah. or he's introduced that way. He confronts him, and it kind of lends itself into Cobb being okay with it, in a sense, right? Yeah. And then they kind of go on this little adventure together. Cobb kind of invites Bill to come along with him. Takes him under his wing a little bit. Takes him under the wing a little bit, and they break into a flat, into a house. And I, I just love how Bill, no reservations about doing this whatsoever. And his, this, this uh, Alex Hawk is the actor who plays Cobb. I love his performance. Oh, he was great. He was great. He's so good. Um, as far as I could tell, this is the only, uh, only feature he's been in. Yeah, you don't see a whole lot of other stuff, and you can read some of his his background and biography. And he was went to school for architecture. Yeah, now he's an architect in New York. And like, yeah, so like, he he and he graduated from Princeton with a master's degree. Um, but it, that's such an interesting. He's so good, right? Uh, his delivery so so good. He's a very uh, straight, like you mentioned, very straightforward kind of cat. In his character. Um, and so they break into this flat, right? And I love this too. I love the writing here because Cobb starts to explain to Bill uh, that, you know, you have this kick of following people. I have this thing of me going into people's houses and it's when they're not home, of course, and disrupting their environment mm-hmm. and their life and making them realize uh, what really matters based upon that disruption, like getting them out of that catatonic state of just normal flow of life. When they come home, they see everything's been upended and it, it's a reminder for them, uh, you know, of different. Right. And I love that. Cause but, what, what, what do you say? Once, once something's taken from you, you appreciate it. I think is what he said. Yeah. Something the, along those lines. Absolutely. And that's what he's doing. So he goes in and he's not, and I say petty theft because he really only steals very little things, and mm-hmm. he's more interested in kind of, just like we just said, upending that person's home. You know, right. it's like it's like there's a years ago there was uh, you know Dane Cook. Mm-hmm. He did this stupid stand up <laughs> where he does the, a, a bit on B and E. It's called yeah burgl- or breaking and entering. Yeah, and he's like, I always had a fantasy to like break into someone's house, just right through the front door. <laughs> Like when no one's, when they're gone. Right. And then like take a lamp and then leave. <laughs> Just one little thing. Yeah. Well, that's what Cobb's doing. Be- exactly. That's exactly that's what exactly he's doing. That's exactly what Cobb's doing. Because he'd be like, I just want, and then I wanted to be home when the dad came home and the kids were all around and the dad was just mind blown confused. Right. Because right, he's right. like, wait, you're always going to be like, where's the lamp? Where'd the lamp go? Where'd, Where'd the, the lamp go? <laughs> right. And this right. is what Cobb is doing. Right. He's breaking in and he f- find it interesting that he kind of, 
he he's able to identify people based on their homes and what they have. He nails them too. He nails he them. Nails them. Could be a, he could be a shrink. So they break into the furthest house that they're in, and he starts telling them that it's the age range. They're mid twenties or later twenties. Just barely moved in together. Barely moved in together. College graduates. And all this stuff. And Bill's like, how do you know all this? You don't know all this. And what I love about this, what I thought was funny, is he, he holds up a CD, and it's a UB40. And he's like, that's how I know. It's right, a UB40 right, CD, right. Uh, among the other things. But just like a little comic relief of like how he's figuring out. Well, because he says, you know, music are. tells you a lot. Yeah. My favorite part of this whole scene, though, is when he decides to frame the boyfriend for cheating. So previously, <laughs> which we didn't see... Cobb's already broken into a house, mm -hmm. and he pulls out girls' panties. Right, and he puts them inside the boyfriend's pants on the in the laundry, and he's framing him so that when the girlfriend does the laundry or sees the laundry, she sees someone else's pants. And he says, uh, "What do he say? Just give him something to talk about." Yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. It's hilarious. It's great. And uh, so they break into this flat, and then he goes into the kitchen. They start having wine. They're just they're, he want to drink, drinking their booze. Yeah, hanging out. This is where it kind of got exciting because I almost thought, oh, they're going to get through this whole scene and they're going to leave and then they'll maybe do another one. But I liked the little excitement here that he brought into it, which was you hear the door open right. and it's a girl and you hear her talking to a guy and uh, you're like, oh shit, they're going to get busted first things first. Right. Um, and I love this scene too. I thought it was hilarious. Dude, he just handles it. He just handles it. Cobb's no a big smooth deal. He operator. He knows exactly what the fuck he's doing. He's a smooth operator. This is where he and Brandon would differ. <laughs> Brandon would panic and barrel out of that house. He would just run. Stumbling. Stumbling. Hair flopping. Brandon, yeah. Dropping by the girls' way, panties on the way out. We're ripping on Brandon because he's supposed to be here. Because so. he picked the movie. Yeah. He picked the movie. So he's going to get it all podcast. Um, yeah, he'd be stumbling. But Cobb handles it expertly. Smooth operator. And I love, he's very intellectual, like very, uh, his ability to adapt is incredible. Mm-hmm. I would probably admittedly be like stumbling and be like, oh, oh yeah, exactly. Or bursting that's, out. That's like, what I would do, you know, for sure. For something sure. to that effect. But I love how Cobb handles it, which is, which is basically, it's almost like he's acting like a real estate agent, right? Right. I, I think he's saying that they're there to see the house, if I'm not mistaken. Or, no, you're right. You're yeah. right. He's, or, he's the agent. He's yeah. some, or some, some, some effect of, right. of, of showing the house for a new potential renter. Right. And you got to remember, Cobb's dressed in a suit and tie. Super professional looks like looking. A businessman. Looks like so it almost could pass for that. Mm -hmm. Whereas Bill is, uh, he he's a little more of a disheveled, disheveled type of guy. Long hair, <laughs> kind of unemployed writer. Unemployed writer, exactly. Yeah. And by the way, going back to that cafe scene real quickly, Cobb nails it. He 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 calls Bill out as a writer. Yeah, yep. which I think is funny. But the owner of the house comes and Cobb plays it off. They walk out like. Oh, I guess we'll uh, have to come back at a later time. And he's like playing the whole thing up. Right. And uh, then they they bolt out of there once they get out the doors and they run up to the roof of the, the apartment complex. This is where Bill's like, what the fuck's going on? It's interesting to kind of see his response to what just happened versus Cobb's. Cobb's like cool as a cucumber. And he's like, oh, shit, that, that usually never well, happens. That never, never happens. happening. again. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and Bill's like, They're gonna, how are we going to get out of here? Right. And he's, like, he's, he's, all, he's all confused. And this is where you can see the difference between the two characters. That comes into play a little later, too. Mm -hmm. You can just see, the, you can see right up front how Cobb 
so easily manipulates people and so easily manipulates the situation and is so smooth in everything he does. And that becomes very important later on. Very important. And, and he's, you know, the thing about Cobb to me, like, even though that becomes important later, Nolan does a good job giving it that twist, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. I, 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 didn't for, I didn't remember foreseeing that or realizing that yeah, that's how it was going to turn about. Um, but keep that in mind. Cobb's a smooth operator. Bill starts to become one a little. He's learning from Cobb. So the apprenticeship takes hold and he kind of, you know, starts yep. to like kind of mold himself after, after Cobb. But about, you're about 20 or so minutes in. We're like, Bill has a bit of, he's starting to kind of, I, I, he's, he likes this idea of who Cobb is and what Cobb's doing. This is where there's an introduction after uh, Bill and Cobb leave this uh, house that they broke into, this flat, where we see an intercut scene of Bill beat up, like uh, his face. He's lying on the ground. He's got a bunch of gloves shoved in his not mouth. O- not only that, he's wearing a suit and tie. He's got his hair short. Completely different looking, shaved. Shaved. He looks like Cobb. Uh, he dr- he's dressing like Cobb. Exactly. Kind of emulating, and he's just beat to shit. And he's got some plastic gloves stuffed in his in his mouth. And this becomes a conventional build editorially. So we now know, and this presents itself later, where time and space, uh, they change. It's mm-hmm. not linear fashion. So this introduces that concept and that convention going forward. Well, and this is where I think it could have got really sloppy. It could have gone off the rails. Like If you're not a very talented editor and you're trying to cut in this nonlinear fashion... And tell the story. It, 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 I can see how it could go off the rails very, very easily. It's they did a good job of building the suspense, giving you just enough information, uh, also putting you into situ- in the middle of situations where you're like, "What the fuck is happening?" Like there was a point there where I didn't know if it was Bill, where because first he's long haired, he's d- looks disheveled, he looks like an unemployed writer. Next, he's dressed up like Cobb. Yeah. So I'm like, is this the same guy or is this a new character? I don't. I didn't quite understand, and I think that's kind of on purpose. Yeah, that first shot that we see him changed as a as a, his look as a character, mm-hmm. it's initially a little confusing, mm-hmm. but I think it's placed at the right time because later when you kind of repeatedly do that, right, it the convention's been built, so it's like sure. okay, For here sure. we go, right, and you're like, well, that's a little what's happening, and then you see it again and a few more times all the way throughout. And it builds that convention. So now we're starting to uh, to place it that it's not happening at the same time. One's in the future or one's in the past based on where we're at well, in the middle to of me, the, the way The way I kind of organized it in my head was that there are essentially three different, uh, I guess, eras of the story. I don't know what other word to use. There's Just di- timelines, right? Yeah, timelines. Like there's disheveled Bill, there's dressed up bill and then there's beat to shit bill right and those that's kind of how i organized it in my head and it was actually done so well that we're on one timeline and i'm i'm like well i can't wait to see what happens in this past timeline yeah like how did we get what happened over here how did he get beat up what's going on so i think i think the way it was edited was the whole key to this movie because it's kind of like memento have you ever seen it uh forward cut forward uh-uh. I haven't either, but I've heard that it's just stupid. It's not. It's not good because Memento is all. If you haven't seen it, it it's Christopher Nolan's second film, yep. and it's just it's all cut backwards. So 
the beginning is really the end of the story right. and it and it goes in that yeah, direction it works itself back right mm -hmm. and if you i guess apparently if you if you reverse the editing and you watch it just straight through it's just it's not even a story it's just a dumb thing and so this i feel like it it's maybe not to that extreme but i i do think if it wasn't edited in this way i'm not sure it would have been as effective yeah we have i uh, like what you're saying because you have essentially the three you have almost pre Cobb, uh disheveled bill mm -hmm. uh, uh emulating Cobb, the nice uh, he's he's now becoming Cobb in a sense, in his own way. And then in some ways, post-Cobb, because we find out later that Cobb's the one that's put a lot of that, the he's beat him up, right? Yep. So, um, but they place it, like you talked about, they place it in the right spot and they build the convention so we understand. And, you know, the thing about it is that, you, like you said, you could get real confused here. Mm -hmm. I hate that. If you in movies in general, um, and you mentioned Memento, which is a great movie, I really love Memento a lot, um, and the edit on it's amazing. Yep. The um, but I hate you know, and it's not confusing. It takes, uh, it takes some thinking, and there's different mystery boxes that open, and you're figuring things out, and this has that as well, um. And I love that he, I love the way he did it because you could cross that other threshold of like doing something just to be confusing. And you're just building something to confuse the audience with no agenda. I really hate that. Like I've seen yeah, that in other yeah. films and I just don't like, we're just trying to do that intentionally to kind of throw you off base. Mm -hmm. And it has no connection to the actual story. No one's really good at doing this kind of really stuff. Really good at it. And even if he's not messing around with time, like if you look and I, I hate to keep bringing up Inception, but the way that he's transporting you from place to place to place with, you know, dreams within dreams, he's really good at doing that mm -hmm. and keeping the continuity and keeping you engaged and not bringing you to the point where you're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this is just stupid because there are a lot of films out there that, like you said, they do do that. And I don't know why they mess with the time and space that way. They're just not as strategic as he is. Right. And yeah, his, his intercutting of most of his films, and you can watch all his films. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a great scene in the dark night where there's a bunch of intercutting. You have commissioner Gordon or at the end, the way he builds suspense through the intercut mm -hmm. when Batman has to make a decision, Yep. you know, it's like the intercutting of those storylines. He's, he's kind of a master at that. He really is. He really is. Um, but it's almost like he's, thought it through and seen it that way in his mind's eye do you I know what i mean so, to because so, i don't think you could just film it and then chop it up this way i mean there's always i think i agree but and there's also like always little things that happen but yeah you you almost have to have and that's why i think he what makes personally what makes him such a good director is he has the editorial mindset for sure from the get-go well and a lot of i mean that's funny because a lot of people say that he should cut his movies down way longer Way more than they are. A lot shorter. A lot shorter, yeah, yeah. And, I, I mean, I understand that a little bit. I've never gotten bored in a Christopher Nolan movie, though. And every movie, I think the only one I haven't seen of his is Dunkirk. I just haven't got around to seeing so, it yet. I, I loved it. Yeah, I, I hear it's great. Uh, that has a bunch of parallel editing. In other words, there's a line of action going on here, a line of action going on here, a line of action going on here. They're all intercut, and it's beautifully done. Okay, And that's... 
definitely on my list. Probably one of the next movies I watch. Um, I, I listened to a podcast uh, like a week or so ago. It was, oh, it was The Rewatchables, Bill, Bill Simmons. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had Quentin Tarantino on. Oh, did they? And they, one of his, they did three episodes with Tarantino. One of Tarantino's rewatchables is Dunkirk. Is it? And he talked about how Dunkirk is a modern masterpiece. Well, I got to watch it. I so mean, you should watch it. I have to watch it because I love Nolan and I love the way he does this. And I've never gotten bored in one of his movies. Even the, like we talked about Interstellar. It's not one of his best. Dark Knight Rises is not one of his best. I've never been bored and I've never been confused. As yeah. much as he screws around with the time and space and the, and the editing, I've never really gotten to the point where it's like, this is too much. Yeah. I don't know what's going on and I don't like it. And he does that again here. And I think his, his ability to, to, to intercut is, is if you're looking as an editor, which we, which we both are, if you're looking as an editor, uh, there's a lot of kind of admiration there for what he's doing. Yeah, I, don't, I honestly don't know how you do it effectively. I mean, that would be a, a Well, it's like I, said, I think you have to have, when you're filming, you've got to have a real strategy mm-hmm. about how you're going to put this thing together sure. and how it's going to structure. Because a lot of times directors will just go and look at a scene and they'll base it on coverage or this right. or that. And they won't see the interconnection of it all until right. later. But I think his, in his case, he's got a meticulous it. process has just got to be mind-numbing to any other human being. Which, for me, is interesting too, because one of the side notes to this trivia of this, or the, the the side notes to this film, is that this is his first film. They had little to no money, and they shot it over fifty-two weeks, over a year, on Saturdays. <laughs> That's crazy, because all the actors had full-time jobs. Yeah. So the only time they could actually film was Saturdays. And I watched an interview with him, and he basically said, we kind of pieced it out. We'd shoot on Saturdays over a year. So that's what, 50, we'll say 52 Saturdays. But that's crazy. To be able to do that and still not lose sight of where you're going. That's the thing, because if you've stretched it out over 12 months and – when we're watching it, we can't identify because I think that's a tough thing to do over right. your actress, whatever it is. You were able to make it feel so seamless over that time. That's pretty incredible. Well, I mean, look at uh, look who's knocking at my door. Harvey mm-hmm. Keitel changed thing, like, like five two, times. Yeah, it's like two years of or about a year and a half. A year. Right, right. And he, yeah, it doesn't carry the same seamlessness. That exactly. This does. And Absolutely. also, I mean, if you think about it. Just from a filmmaking perspective, to able to keep your actors engaged in this project for that long and to keep them coming back. I mean, I got to assume, I mean, what was the budget? Nine thousand. It says six thousand. Six grand. Now, you got to remember it's like ninety eight ish. So what does that translate into today's dollars? I'm guessing. I don't know what inflation is, but maybe that's 20 grand. Okay. You're still not That's, paying these actors a whole lot. No. At all. No. And anyone who's done a, a micro-budget project before knows how hard it is to get any crew or any actors engaged over a long period of time when you're not paying them very much. It's a it's a hell of a producing effort. It really is. Which it really will, is. Which is produced by uh, his uh, Emma Thomas. And Emma Thomas is Nolan's wife. Right. So she's a hell of a producer. I mean, he produced it with her, but... She's got to be carrying a lot of that weight. Shit, that that just the whole idea stresses me out to no 
to no end. I actually love it in the sense of like being a, a low to no budget filmmaker. But I, it's 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 almost aspirational and inspirational. Absolutely. Um, where you can go, look, I can take a very limited amount of money and limited amount of resources, and I can make a really good movie. Yeah. Because uh, he does that. Talent's all that matters. Talent and, you and know, drive and passion. Passion is huge. Um, so Bill, uh, after he's met Cobb and they've kind of gone through it, he kind of starts to build an admiration for Cobb. He meets uh, a blonde woman, which is literally the character's name uh, that's what it's credited <laughs> as the blonde uh definitely she says her name too she does i can't remember what it is though i should have written it, it down and it doesn't say in the credits so i'm just going blonde woman call her the blonde um and they meet and he kind of starts flirting with her and kind of getting to know her and understanding who she is um and this is all kind of within the time and space of after he's he's met uh cobb but then it cuts again because the next scene, it cuts to Bill. And he, when he, by the way, when he meets uh, the blonde woman, right, he's like, <laughs> he, he's, he's now shaven or shaved, I should say, and uh, in the suit. Yep. So it's already kind of, once again, playing with time and space. But it, once again, it's not confusing to that. You kind of understand mm-hmm. what's going on. Um, and then... It cuts to him calling uh, Bill for some advice. Uh, or sorry, sorry, uh, Bill calling Cobb. But even before that, when, when he meets the woman in the bar, yeah, she talks about her ex-boyfriend. Or she says, I'm with someone. That's right. Points to the bald guy. And I'm not sure where exactly in the story because it's, it's chopped up quite a bit. But we learn that this guy's very dangerous. Yeah. He's very, very dangerous. Like almost, almost mafia. Yeah, yeah. Guy he's, that, he's a pornographer, but he's obviously underground criminal. Yeah. And uh, and he's very jealous, and that's he right. doesn't like her to be talking to other men. And and that that that's a big plot point later on. Yes. So after we we get introduced to the blonde and we get introduced to her uh, criminal boyfriend, there's a scene where Bill calls Cobb for some advice. He's asking him about. Um, weapons or protection you know what's interesting here is they they don't use he doesn't say a gun no he gives him the idea that you could use this or that and then he says you could also use a hammer Mm -hmm. because it's light and you can throw it on the back of your waistband and if you if you hit him in the right position it can be lethal and deadly right the way that ties into the previous scene is that he's looking for protection because Mm -hmm. we've been introduced that he's made some kind of uh, relationship with the blonde and it, it would appear that he's probably in trouble with her ex-boyfriend criminal. Right. And Which, so... Which, at this point, we're thinking maybe this would explain why he was all bloodied earlier. Yeah. Which, yeah. it doesn't end up being the case, but right. you're thinking that's probably that, the that, cause of it. The trick of the edit is, like, that's probably, exactly, that's probably what's happening. And Cobb basically tells him, um, use a hammer. Yeah. I found this interesting. I actually... I saw an interview with Nolan about this film and also about the idea of wanting to use a hammer. That's kind of an interesting weapon to use. Yeah. Uh, you know, being a, a, a former student and then being a film instructor myself, I love that he said, you know, and a lot of times in student films, uh, the gun is predominant. And he said it's a dominant factor in how they build in weaponry or whatever it might be. 
And usually without the right resources and the right technical effects, the gun uh, doesn't carry with it a level of authenticity the way that it's used in student films and things like For that. For sure. So he's like, uh, we and, and there's cost associated. You can't, you know, squibs and blanks and all these kind of things that you can use. If you don't have resources to those, it can be hard to make the f- gun feel real. Or even he said finding a gun, you know, an actual prop gun that mm-hmm. actually looks authentic. And he, I loved his description because he was even talking about the weight of the gun and all these kind of ideas that, it's cool because as a filmmaker, when you're in a run and gun, you almost don't think about those things. No, no. This is what makes Nolan such a great filmmaker is he's always thinking about that that other layer. So he's talking about that, and he's like, we just decided to use something that was real, and we could actually create a prop that made sense, that that had weight and actually could carry with it like authenticity, even though it wasn't the the predominant choice of what you might might originally think of when it comes to protection well it makes sense because i mean how many student films have you seen with a gun and it just doesn't look right it doesn't look real I've when been, when they're holding the gun or the way I'll, they're handling it, it just i've doesn't. been teaching film for 10 years <laughs> 98% of the films have a gun. I know. I was going to I was going to ask 98 98%. It's a shitload, man. It's a lot of films. That's ridiculous. I just loved his answer there. That's a actually that's a clip I should show to you students. Should. He's like, "Look, here's what Stop Nolan says. Fucking turning in assignments <laughs> with guns in it. <laughs> it doesn't feel real." No. It doesn't. Um and then we after he calls Cobb for advice and and uh we get a scene where uh we're at um Bill breaks into uh, an, his own house. He basically kind of takes the, the baton from Cobb and kind of takes the assignment where he's got to stake it out and uh, do a follow and like find out if they're li- when they're leaving and, and then break in. He's kind of, he, he wants to take his own initiative and do what Cobb's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he does that. Then it's it's this intercutting coming back. We get back to the blonde's house. That relationship's building. Bill is really starting to become infatuated with the blonde. That's starting to build. It cuts back to the blonde's flat. And, and now the person that he was scouting out, so to speak, or going through is her flat. Mm-hmm. And Bill and Cobb go through her thing. She's gone. And that's the house that they scouted out. And they start going through all her stuff. Right. Right. Breaking into her house. And earlier she had told Bill, my house got broken into. They keep saying burgled, which is just weird. It's a British thing. It's a British thing. Damn the Brits. It, it had to be either British or uh, Australian. They always have weird, funky words. They have the, yeah. Little, they burgled. I can't even do a British accent. So. Yeah. It's just like some uh, weird, like, kitty names for everything. But, uh, but she, and she mentions, you know, they rifled through my underwear drawer. They took one earring. Yeah. And so That's then right. then it cuts to them doing this, and you're seeing why they're doing it and how they're doing it. And Cobb's the one going through the underwear drawer, and Cobb's the one who took one earring and hit it just to create confusion. Yeah, he just hides like, it in the piano bench. Yeah, just like Dane Cook wanting to break in a house <laughs> and take a lamp just to you know create a little it's, confusion. It's a mind fuck. It's a mind fuck. That's exactly what it's it what is. It's what it is. Yeah. And you know what? It'd be kind of fun to do that. <laughs> I'm not saying anyone should break in any houses. We're not condoning it. Right. But is there any fun if you can't see the reaction later, though? Well, that's what I love about how Nolan's put this together is that uh, as the viewer, we're aware, at least to a degree, that Cobb and and Bill are in on this break-in mm-hmm. and, and 
at this point at least, at this point, we don't think the blonde's part of what's going on. Right, right. Um, and so it's fun to see her respond to the mind fucked. Right. She's she's setting him up, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, because they have uh, Bill and the blonde start to have a conversation about fears and things she's scared of, and she's talking about her ex boyfriend again, the criminal. She's talking about um, the the things that that he's done in his past and and that he's done in front of her. Well, and when they when they cut back to her. Watching this dude get murdered with a hammer. So that's what it flashes back to yeah. is the things that he's done. Yeah, it's this is wonky, man. This did not feel real. I mean, we're talking about a gun not feeling real in your, in your hands. Yeah, like it's it. You're not looking real when someone's holding it. This didn't feel real. I mean, it was just like little thud on one finger and the guy's screaming, little thud on the other finger, and then a little thud on the head and he's dead. Yeah, it's just like I mean, I mean, I understand low budget first film. I'm not expecting over the you know perfect. But I had see here's that wasn't I get what you're saying. It took I, me out of it a little and bit. And I agree, but I that didn't take me out quite yet. What took me out is when she has to clean it up and it's a rug it's a and rug. there's like a, a pool of blood about <laughs> this big like for those that are listening like a a 5 inch diameter right, of right. blood whereas like if you were busting fingers and heads especially, right? Right. Though when you knock your head Blood gushes. It's gonna gut. It's gonna squirt everywhere. It's gonna gush. It's gonna get all over. It's gonna get on the piano. First grade walls. basketball courts. Oh, Viewmont Elementary. Dude, it's brutal, man. Brutal first grade basketball. That's brutal. It's going down, Alan. <laughs> I was getting heated. <laughs> I go up for the layup, right? And you're in your your six you're, foot hoops. You're yeah, eight okay. foot hoops. Eight and foot you're, hoops. You're, you 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 have no coordination. Well, of course, you're not. in first grade. Yeah. I thought I did. I was like, I got this layup, and your your layup is not coordinated. It's like all over wonky. Right. But my I jump to try to shoot it. My friend undercuts me. It's that asphalt with the little rocky gravel oh, pits in worst. it. It's the worst. I get undercut, so I'm going down head first. Oh shit! When I'm little, I'm a toehead, total toehead, blonde mm. as can be. Hit the ground immediately. It looks like Carrie all over my oh, face. Oh my god! Oh my god! My blonde hair is. Dark red, just covered. All my friends are freaking out. They think I'm dead. Yeah, they're like, can't he's dead. Because they're first. Oh my God. They're, he's dying. Yeah. Gabe's dying. Yeah. You know? And so my point to this story is like you're saying that when she cleans this up, it's literally a fight. Come on, Nolan. For all his intricacies Dude. and all his detail and specificity, that he dropped the ball there. Dude, it was a, a, a six grand budget. They didn't have enough corn syrup. They didn't have enough. It's black and white, though, so get That's that true. Hershey chocolate get, out. D- pull the old Hitchcock. Yeah. And get he actually bo- mentions- It was actually Bosco. Yeah. I, I just learned that. Oh, okay. I just listened to Inside Psycho again. Oh, yeah. That's a great, great podcast. Great podcast. Yeah, it was Bosco. We aspire. Yeah, we do. We do. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and actually, what's funny, in the interview that I watched with Nolan, he actually mentions a lot of his influences, mm-hmm. and his infl- one of his influences is Hitchcock. So, so borrow from that influence. It's very famous. You've been building a great film, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> you take us yeah. out. You're trying to show a murderous this criminal. Is a murder. Like this is like a this is a very a huge turning. It's point. a brutal myrtle, murder myrtle. Yeah, yeah. It is a it is a brutal myrtle. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's getting late. Um, no, it's a it's a brutal murder. Uh, you would think that you'd see a lot more blood. 
I mean, it's a hammer. So it's like you would also think that the guy would swing it with a little bit more force. Yeah, that was the thing. It was just like I wanted a little Tarantino esque action. Yeah, a little bit more. I mean, this is this is a huge turning point in the movie because we understand just how dangerous this guy is. We know that's and that's part of the blonde's fears. Exactly. She's uh, worried about her ex. And we also know that Bill is now. Uh, dipping his toe into this world, yeah, he's very jealous of this girl, and he's pursuing this girl. Now, Bill's in immediate serious danger. Yeah, and I think that you would you want to amp this up just a little bit, not over the top, just a little bit. You could Tarantino it up a little. Yeah, bit. seriously. Um, and then it kind of leads into this conversation eventually, where uh, she's talking about um, her boyfriend blackmailing her, essentially with. I guess nude photos because he's a pornographer, mm-hmm. underground criminal, and he is—he's got these photos and these negatives of her naked, and he could exploit her, blackmail her. Yep. And they're in—you know, when I say it out like that now, I go, "That's stupid." Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking. It's but actually, when I was watching it, I kind of—I thought it, but then I also was like, "Believable." Well, she's got half-naked pictures of herself all over her in house her, in her apartment. And so to me, I was like, that's, I mean, that's a little, yeah, her moral, pushing a little her bit. moral code wasn't that, but, but and nonetheless, I, well, and as we do get into this movie, it is getting a little bit more ridiculous. Like it's still not, it's not bad. It doesn't get to the point where I'm like, uh, but there are some moments like that that take me out of it. Yeah. When I, when I was pictures, I was like, yeah, I mean, you probably don't want them to get out, but also weren't you dating a pornographer? And it's kind of implied that she was working for him too. Implying that maybe she was yeah, taking, but she might not have may been. not have been, but still she's got half naked photos of herself. But I think the cons. No, I agree with you, and I think it's a little soft. Sure, but I think that you could venture to say that he could use those and just publish them in the magazine for sure, which she may sure. not have wanted. Sure, and Bill, because he's falling for the blonde, decides that I can get the, the negatives out of the safe. She this is and she's also playing him like a a, a film a, a a black widow oh totally vixen totally f- film noir uh, stereotype yep um, she does really well I like her acting she's really good uh, and plays into those roles quite nicely but she basically sets him up and we don't quite know that even quite yet we almost think that she's being real with Bill mm-hmm. um, but. It does kind of divulge itself. It did for me where when she was saying, oh, we can go, you, you can go to the safe um, and that's where the photos and the negatives are and there might even be some money in there. Right, right. And then on top of that, he's like, well, I think I can do it. And But how are we going to get in? We'll never get in. And she's like, I know the, the combination. How convenient. This is where I how went. How convenient. So even more than the <laughs> – even more – then the blood, I went, okay, now. and But what I hated was Bill, there was no questioning on Bill's end. Well, and, and I, I can kind of buy that a little bit just because. He's infatuated ev- with her. Not only that, but every single thing that's been brought to him, hey, let's break into these people's house. Okay. Hey, True. Let's, let's go rob these people. Okay. You know, he just is going along. He's going along. With everything. And plus, he's totally infatuated with her. So I can, I, I know what you're saying. Especially when we know how dangerous this ex-boyfriend is. Yeah. But uh, I can, I can, I can, I'll let it pass a little bit. No, that's that's and that that's like what I'm saying about those other pieces too. I mean, there's you kind of go, eh, but then they're passable. Right. He still built them in a way that 
can make them believable. For sure. But she says, I got the combination. And he's like, great. And then it cuts to, uh, it's an intercut. Because then it cuts back to Cobb. This is a previous to that scene we just saw Mm -hmm. in the timeline. And it cuts back to Cobb and Bill at, a restaurant and they're at a very nice restaurant five-star big nice restaurant this is disheveled bill <clears throat> and it's disheveled bill and Cobb says you're paying for dinner and bill's like i can't afford dinner and Cobb says yes you can and he pulls out a credit card mm-hmm. that he has supposedly stolen that says d lloyd and he says all you got to do is put your signature on the on the check. And he's like, what? And he's like, just put, he's got to sign D. Right. Lloyd. So he does. And they make him sign the uh, the credit card too, right? And he makes him sign the back of the credit card. Right. Yeah, so that's right. It's in his handwriting. It's in his handwriting. And also, uh, I, I, th- I want to say it was Dennis Lloyd. <laughs> whatever whatever the name was. Yeah, I just put D because yeah, I don't remember the. That's the name that he gave the blonde bombshell. That's right. That's the name he gave her. That's right. And this is an important scene because it comes into play later. Right. I loved how he kind of intertwined it. I did, it's funny because in that scene, when you initially watch it, you go, it has no relevance. What's Right. Who cares? Right. He's just being a criminal and faking a signature on the back of a credit card, which is a federal offense, right? I don't know. I would imagine. I don't yeah, know. I'm not I would get, imagine. It's got to be more than a yeah. little petty crime, I right? would think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a... I should call a lawyer. Um <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen to me. I'm just talking out my uh, federal offense. I'm, people are, are like, are you worried about something? Game? <laughs> no. Should, should we, uh... no, but I said federal offense. <laughs> right. Like, is it? Is it? I don't think it's a felony. Okay, I was gonna say. I mean, maybe I was no, upping I it, it up. I was upping it too much. I think. I think it d- would depend on how much you're spending on that credit on that stolen credit card. Right. This is a ploy for later, but uh, Cobb convinces Bill to sign the card under a, a different name. And immediately after, we see a scene where, once again, it's intercutting, so just be aware that it's kind of changing time and space. Does cut back to Bill in his, in his, in his flat uh, shaving. So, and cutting his own hair. Cutting too. his own hair. Doing a pretty good job, I might say. I know. I was looking at that, and I was there's no way I could do that, man. No way. I'd slice. I, I martyrs myself. <laughs> <laughs> slice my skin right off. There would be more blood than the 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 uh, the, the than your head trauma. Yeah. Than the the, the murder. The <laughs> vicious the mur- hammer murder. Well, there there wouldn't be more blood than my head trauma in first grade, <laughs> but there would definitely be more blood than the the murder from her from the, the blonde's ex boyfriend. The brutal murder with a hammer. <laughs> um. So. Bill changes his appearance. What he's really trying to do, uh, and this is, of course, just very recently after he met Cobb in, in that timeline. It's happening relatively quick right after he's met him. He's trying to emulate Cobb. He's uh, going to shave and clean up and put a suit on and yep. go through that whole uh, that whole system of, of trying to look different. Because Cobb actually makes fun of him. In a, uh, he actually yeah. says, you don't have, just because you're a, because after they leave the right. restaurant where he signs the credit card, Cobb's like, "Hey, you don't have to." Just because you look, just because you're a thief, doesn't mean you have, have to, to look, look like, like one. one. Yeah, right. yeah. Now in the timeline, this is where I got a little confused because I wanted to know if when they took her belongings, that's before they actually built a relationship, before Bill started to fall for her. Yes, in in, in the timeline. Yes, yes. Um, 
And and that's the only part, and I, I think I got it right, and based, I think we're on the same page. That was the only part where I got confused for a second, where I was trying to remember if uh, they took the belongings before Bill uh, had a relationship with her or yeah, after, but it was he, before. He, because they went in there, and I think that's what got him infatuated. That's why he followed her to the bar That's right. and decided to hit on her. There we go. So, they, But they go, they, they take her stuff, and inside, this is... We see he's, t- he's got money inside and different uh, trinkets and different uh, things that are important to her, to mm-hmm. the blonde. That's the next scene. The next scene after he's going through the trinkets, which is happening further back in the timeline, mm-hmm. it goes back forward again where he's got a relationship with the blonde and she's given him the combination to right, the safe. Right. And he's in her, her ex-boyfriend's uh, criminal or his club or wherever he's owning, his, his place of uh, business. And he's at the safe trying to get the photos of her, the nude prince. Right. And simultaneously, there's a bunch of cash. A shitload of money. A shitload of money. A shitload a sh- of just, money. So, he, so Bill's now in the, uh, the place of business of her ex-boyfriend, and he's trying to get the money. And this is where uh, he's trying to figure out how to – he's even talking to himself, like you mentioned, like he's trying to – He's like, bag, 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 bag. He's right. trying to figure out where to place all this money. Then somebody kind of mysteriously appears. Right. Uh, you think it's some kind of bodyguard or security of yeah, the that, office Yeah, that, that was my impression. And A goon, a hired goon. This is not a great interaction in terms of a fight. No, not at all. Um, but Let's just say that, that early on, Nolan uh, action was not Nolan's uh, strength. Directing action and shooting action was definitely not something that that he did very well. Because they have an altercation where Bill pulls out or has the hammer Mm -hmm. and takes a swing and knocks him. But it's just kind of clunkily done. Yeah, very, very, very much so. Um, But he knocks the guy out. And then it shows Bill later right after that. He's like unstrapping. What he's ended up doing is taping all the cash, all the cash from the safe on him underneath his clothes, like tra- taped it against his, his arms and his, his waist legs. and all over. Yeah. This is where, once again, there's a little confusion, not in the story, but like on how to describe it, because this is just right after this is where we see Cobb become angry with Bill because Cobb discovers that Bill has a relationship with the blonde. Yeah. So, and, and but so, we've but we've now, as a viewer, also discovered, right, that Cobb and the blonde are in it they're, together. They're an item, and they're also working together. And we didn't. We just we just barely learned that. And then this subsequent scene, it appears that Bill has also been sleeping with the blonde, and this is new information to Cobb. Right. And in, in that's how it's played out. At right, least. right. And that's when it ends up being Cobb that beats the shit out of Bill. Yes. And shoves the, the gloves into his mouth. Into the, his mouth, like we were alluding to earlier. Right. Um, so, so this is like we said. This sa- is where the twist, I mean, this is the twist, basically. This is the twist when you realize that Cobb, Cobb and the blonde have been playing him the whole time. They've been playing. The entire time. And and I would and this is where we'll get into at the end because I have some questions and I might even be a little confused on a certain connection on how it plays out. 
but the concept is we find out that, like we said, Cobb and the blonde actually have been working together. And then the subsequent scene, Bill reveals to Cobb, hey, I've been sleeping with her. And, and, and Cobb's angry. Mm-hmm. But isn't that what he wanted? I think so. I st- that, this is the question I have is he, he's upset or it would appear that he's upset, but I, it's almost like that's what he wanted to happen. Yeah. For them to build some kind of rapport and relationship like that was his mastermind scheme all along. Right. Well, and later he even, you know, he's talking, Cobb is talking to the blonde and he said, did you really have to sleep with him? And she said, you told me to if I had to. Yeah. So I I don't know why he was so angry and why he beat the shit out of him. Yeah. Because feels like a loose end. A little bit. But nonetheless, Cobb takes him, beats him up. And this then becomes the scene where we now realize in the first 10 minutes of the film, we saw a cut of this scene, like mm-hmm. you were mentioning with the glove in the mouth. And now we know what that means. Right. This is why I think he's so good at the intercut, because he'll introduce it 30, 40, 30 minutes before, mm-hmm. and then it comes into play later on, and you go, oh. And you see how those conventions he, work. He, he introduces elements of the story at just the right time keeps you wanting to know more and then reveals at just the right time later on yeah he's he's a mass it's not too early it's not too late it's that timing it, the timing is just perfect with the with the editing and he's very in everything he does it's really, and it keeps you wondering and it keeps you thinking about the film after you've seen it which i think is is the mark of a great film that's i agree because you can go back to it or continually you know have it have it in your mind in some way yeah like you were saying Cobb kind of expresses his frustration with the blonde sleeping with bill Mm -hmm. like why'd you sleep with him these kind of things but then it cuts to bill opening the envelope this is now he's gone to the the ex-boyfriend's place of business he's taken the guy out with the hammer he comes back he's got all the money taped to him and he opens an envelope where he believes to be the nude photos of the blonde. Right. And when he opens them, it's not her. It's not her. And, and they're, and they're not nudes. They're not nudes. They're just, they, they look like headshots. They're headshots of some, some girl, some uh, random, random girl. Um, and so this and, is kind of where you start to understand that, that the bill's been had. And he, this is where he understands that too. He gets He upset. just doesn't understand why. Yeah. And at, at some point, and I think it's, I think I want to say it's the next scene, there's some exposition between Cobb and the blonde where they explain that um, Cobb was burgling. <laughs> it's never going to sound funny. Burgling? He, he was burgling a house and he came across a dead woman, a dead old woman who had been murdered. So he stumbled across uh, a crime scene, essentially. And so he tried to get the hell out of there, but someone saw him. They right. didn't get a good look, but they saw that he was someone wearing a suit and tie, short hair, and so he, he and so it, the exposition, they basically say we just need someone who kind of looks like me to double him to just to throw the scent off a little bit. That's why they've been playing him. So uh, they've been playing Bill the whole time. They've been playing Bill the whole time because it's uh, a setup. Bill is a loner. He's easily manipulated, and he was perfect. And they just happened to come across him following Cobb so then Cobb sneakily followed Bill and learned all about him and was like this is perfect this is the perfect setup this is the perfect fall guy and this is what we're doing that's such a 
This is where I'm start. This is tough. It gets a little wonky here. It gets a little wonky. Not that I. It's plausible, but it's a little too convenient. It's like a little too Ocean's Eleven, where it just everything lines up perfectly. Yeah, and he and and Bill does exactly what they wanted him to do, and reacted like, how did they know he was going to go up and talk to the blonde in the bar? And and the way that he finds out too is because Bill, once he finds the the photos aren't of her, when he goes back to her apartment. And she opens the door. He slaps her. Yeah. And then the exposition of what you just gave is revealed that she's been in on. She, she's we now Bill knows. Right. And she reveals the whole plan. She to reveals him. the whole plan to him. He knows he's been had. This is where I have question. So, it, it, like I said, it's plausible, but there's a little convenience factor For there. For sure. Towards the end of the film, it's starting to come together. Essentially, the detectives are on Cobb's case. And as part of that, uh, they've set it up now where they have Bill as an essential suspect. So that plan that Cobb had to kind of double as him uh, as the potential person who left this old lady's house who had been murdered uh, is coming together because the detectives are now tracing Bill scent. Yeah. And, and it does work. He, I even, mean, he even tells the blonde, he's like, I'm going to go to the cops and explain everything because she just revealed the whole plan. And she doesn't seem to give a shit. She's just like, whatever. Like, we were just using you. I'm sorry, whatever. I didn't want it to happen, but it's yeah. you just kind of fell into the wrong place at the wrong time. And he's like, I'm going to go to the cops. I'm going to explain everything. And she just basically says, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Yeah. You know, you can do it, but I wouldn't do that. Because all the evidence is still kind of pointing in your direction. 100%. And he's just like, I'm just going to explain it all. And that's exactly what he does. But here's where I'm a little confused because when he goes to the cops, yes, this is the police officer says we're not investigating an unsolved murder of an old woman. So why did they need Bill in the first place if it wasn't for him to be the fall guy for the for the murder? Yeah, because when Bill goes back to confess everything to the detectives, mm-hmm. um. The, hit, the scent on him is strong for the detectives. They really believe that he's the one responsible for the woman. But, well, he, he, and here's, here's my question. So the, w- during this scene with the detective, it cuts back to a scene with the blonde and Cobb. Yes. So at first, he's, he's talking to, to the detective, and he tells him the whole story. He's like, this is what happened. You know, there's this guy named Cobb. He's been burgling everybody and... Burglar. And, you know, he's, he's, he killed an old, or he, he stumbled into a, a crime scene of an old woman who's dead. Um, but then the, the detective says there's no invest, there's no unsolved murder of an old woman. So, but then I think, wait, actually, I think I just answered my own question. So, my, my first question was why, why did they need to use him in the first place right. if there was no dead old woman? But then it cuts to the scene with Cobb. And the and the blonde, and basically, they they give a little bit more exposition, and then Cobb murders or Im- implies that he murders the blonde. Right. So I think the whole idea was setting him up for the blonde's murder. It's a little convoluted, but I think that must be the whole. That, it, that must have been the end game. Yeah, I think, and and because this is where I even got confused at the end. I was trying to figure out what the setup was about. And when I and now you're you're going through that that's that makes sense, where ultimately Cobb has gone through this whole process. 
He's played Bill the whole time. Mm-hmm. He's also played the blonde. Totally. The whole time. Because basically Cobb, not basically, Cobb works for the blonde's ex. The, the ball guy. They call it, we didn't say this, but the whole time they called him the ball guy, even though he wasn't bald. I didn't understand that. But uh, but Cobb works for uh, for the ball guy, the blonde's ex. They are they want to kill the blonde because she saw her ex murder that dude in yeah. her house. Yeah, she was a witness to a murder and basically get five drops of blood on her rug. No, it, it when I first watched it and was we're talking through it now, I was I was uncertain. Those were like I had questions about the end, but now as we're talking through it, now I go, "Okay, I see what happened." That's a very long con to frame one guy for like they just killed a they just showed this organization killing a guy in cold blood with a hammer. And now they're going to go uh, like, the, I don't know how long this whole process, this whole story took. I'm going to assume like weeks and months. They're going to go through this long process just to frame some random guy for a murder. They could have just killed and just got rid of the body. No body, no murder. Why did they kill him at her apartment? Am I missing a piece? That's there? a very good question. Cause she, yeah, that's a good question. Cause she did say that he called me and he said he needed to use my apartment for something. Yeah. And next thing I know they have this guy, and he's on the ground, and they're smashing his fingers. Or was that guy in a relationship with her? I have no idea. It doesn't allude that I remember. No. It doesn't say that. They have access to an empty warehouse. Why not just fucking kill him there? This is what I'm getting. I don't. <laughs> like, unless what is the only on? the only thing I can assume would be that the guy they killed had a had a relationship with the blonde, and it pissed off the the Maybe. boyfriend, and they were trying to prove a point, and then. Because she was a witness to it, they're like, "Let's take her out too." Could be. She said that they that they told. This is what, at least what she told Bill that the dude owed the bald guy money. Yeah. But maybe maybe they did have a relationship. I mean, that's that's the a, fact that we have to reach this far <laughs> and like and try and it, guess the motives here is is not good. It's it's a long con for an organization that has no problem just murdering the shit out of anybody. Especially if if the blonde, I mean, a she doesn't even have a name, so whatever. Right. Um, <laughs> but the does she have people that would know that she's gone? I mean, maybe she's an isolated individual with no family and Could friends. Be. Could so be. So why wouldn't you just take her out? So there's a little bit. The one the one thing that he does well here, and we've talked about this in the beginning, is the editorial mm-hmm. and the back and forth. I love the intercutting. And the suspense build between Bill divulging the story and then cutting back to Cobb talking yep. to the blonde and then Bill learning new things and then back and forth and back and forth. And then Bill finally being uh, finally being divulged to Bill that Cobb uh, had set him up the whole time in, yeah. in everything. The D. Lloyd signature. Right. The, the whole ring, thing. The whole great. thing. And and. and- Nolan, I mean, we've been kind of praising this editing the whole time, and it's true because not only does he kind of uh, reveal things at the right time, but he also lets the audience in on the plan at just the right time and still keeps the protagonist in the dark. Yep. And that builds some tension and suspense. I think it's just done very well. Motives aside, what did you think of the twist? I liked it. The multiple twists. I guess there are two twists. And I I did. I liked it. Um, like we talked about, there might be some missteps, but ultimately I really liked it. I love how it ended. Yeah, me too. That shot of Cobb in the street. I mean, it's so Nolan. 
Right, it's very Nolan. That was very like Nolan. Inse- he borrowed his own piece for Inception. Yeah, for sure. Like that. Do you know what I mean? Like that felt like an Inception shot. Right. So the end is after we it's all revealed that Bill's screwed. Mm-hmm. The blonde is dead. Cobb basically he played everybody. Played man. everybody. Uh, this shot though of him in the street, and then you see a foreground subject walk in front of him, and then as he passes, Cobb's gone. It's gone. Yeah. I loved that. Very Nolan. Very it was Nolan. very Nolan. But I yeah. loved that shot. What did you think of the ending? I love. I love that. Well, I love both twists. Like, so at first, when you find out that at um, Cobb and the blonde are playing Bill, I I audibly out loud said, "Oh, like that was cool. I like that." Yeah. And then this the second twist where he kills her at the end, kind of saw it coming a little bit, but it was still really cool. I really enjoyed that. And then that final shot, I just loved it. It's just, it's just final cool. shots. Awesome. It's just fun. You know, because Cobb's fun. an ultimate mystery, right? Is his name Cobb? No, no, absolutely. Not. <laughs> absolutely not. So I, I, I thought that was great. Um, yeah, a lot of fun pieces to this movie. Uh, and it really s- sets the, the template for what, Nolan does down the road. Yeah, and once again, you look at this, you know, he makes a 70-minute feature film over the course of 52 weeks, filming on Saturdays when the crew could do it in the cast. And he puts together a really nice film. And I, I got to give him props for not throwing a bunch of bullshit in there just to extend it. True. Like, I mean, I love the idea of him being confident with what it is. Right. Because a lot of we, I, this is one thing I can't stand. I particularly can't stand. We get so caught up around a two hour mark. Mm-hmm. I can't stand it. Yeah, me neither. If it's two, that's fine. I don't have anything against it. But I just, if it's 70 minutes, let it be 70 minutes. Right. I agree. 100%. And I love that he was cool. He's so, the thing, you know, in these interviews I've been watching with him, and we were talking about this before the podcast, but he, he's so confident, yeah. so cool, so composed. Uh, he knows what he wants to do. Well, and it's ironic that his first feature was 70 minutes and very good and very well-reviewed and well-loved, and his later movies are so long. They're so long, yeah. yeah. So a couple pieces of trivia, then we'll get into a couple ratings. Nolan came up with the idea for the film because he was robbed. Oh, cool. So that was kind of an inception, no pun intended. (laughs) He's he's got a lot of references to... uh, previous filmmakers and movies uh if you look on the walls in the production design there's shots of uh, little photos of marilyn monroe yeah uh a poster of sunset boulevard which is a classic uh film from 1950 um he even has a uh a reference to reservoir dogs oh does he yeah there's a poster of this film in bill's flat oh really i didn't notice that yeah so that had to have come out I mean, right when they're doing production, probably. The, no, because... Reservoir, no, Reservoir Dogs this, came out... In 92. Nine, so okay. it's, it's yeah, got it's years been, on yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the interview that I watched while we were researching for this was Nolan was talking about how he was influenced from not, all the, not necessarily stylistically, as is evident with his kill scene versus a Tarantino kill scene, mm. but he was influenced by the concept of like Kevin Smith and Tarantino who could go make movies for little to no budgets and make them um, uh, fun and entertaining and very film-like and get them recognized. So that was part of his inspiration. So I think it's a little throw-out homage to, hey, you guys did a short, a small... Ind- right. Your first film was Reservoir Dogs. You did it for little to no budget, a bigger budget than this film. 
But nonetheless, that was a little homage well, to him. And Cobb is a little, he's, he's a little Mr. Pink as, as far as kind of is, staying yeah. professional. He's professional the and whole time. And he gets time. away with it. See, That's when true. you lose your head is when you, you, you go down, man. You got to stay professional. That's true. Nolan borrows from himself because I don't remember in Insomnia, but I do remember in Memento that, uh, that there's a method of breaking into a, an apartment with a credit card. But I don't remember that in Insomnia. So the credit card break-in, mm-hmm. where Cobb uses that in this film, yep. it's also done in Memento, and it's done in Insomnia. So he's kind of borrowing from himself there. In the second apartment that Bill and Cobb break into, there's a Batman sticker on the door. I did notice that. Yeah. I did notice yeah. that. I thought that was kind of cool. And there's obviously no intention there. It just happened right. to be, which is kind of a cool tie-in. Another thing, like he's very, he's a cinephile. Nolan. Totally. Because there's another reference to The Shining. And what's funny is we've done a podcast on The Shining right. and we've done a podcast on Reservoir Dogs. And uh, there's three small photos of here's Johnny, your favorite line, uh, from The Shining. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Appear on the protagonist's wall. So on Bill's wall. I don't remember any of that. Usually I. Well, I it's, out. I mean, you got to look okay. in, the, in, the, in the background, right? So, uh, and there's a character named Daniel Lloyd. Daniel, Daniel Lloyd, that's right. So, that's right, which is a direct borrow. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it, it's Danny, Danny. And, then, and then Lloyd is the bartender mm-hmm. from The Shining. So, they're that's com- right. comboed that's it up. Right. So, he, that's what I mean. He's a cinephile. Like he's, I love right. him for that because he's always like borrowing from other things or just kind of paying homage. Which is like John Carpenter lifted uh, the name Sam Loomis for the doctor in Halloween straight from Psycho. Oh yeah, straight like to Sam like, Loomis. That's yeah. that's it. Yeah, Sam. That's funny. Um, we talked about this. Principal photography took over one year. They were able to film on on Saturdays for about fifteen minutes of footage, right? Until the photography had been completed. That's crazy to me. And then here's a, another homage. We have a reference to Casablanca, another poster in Bill's flat. So he like, like How many I said, posters does he have he's, in there? He's a history buff, yeah. a film history buff. So. This is uh, following a lot of good things here. Um, give me where you kind of sit on the film and what you're feeling about it, a little summation, and maybe throughout that rating. Well, one thing I did want to mention real quick is uh, I thought the acting was outstanding, That's except great. for Bill. You didn't like Bill? No, there is some time. like When he's with the, uh, the cops and... They're, they're basically telling him, well, we know you killed the blonde. His react I mean, there are a couple of times where, where he has a reaction that's just so like, no, I didn't. What are you talking about? It's just so not very good. Um, I think he's great when he's when he's being curious, but when he has, actually has to have a natural reaction, it's just it just didn't connect for me at all. Other than that, though, I thought the acting was fantastic from everybody. I thought all the performances were great, which is especially impressive when you think of these people are like getting paid nothing and they had to do it on weekends for, for a year. year. I mean, that sucks. It's crazy. That sucks. And the fact that they could bring in these performances is pretty impressive. So uh, that and then the ending, super wonky. It's convoluted, little convenient. Um, that's bringing down the, uh, the rating a little bit, but I still really enjoyed it. I, I honestly, like I said, I didn't expect to. I saw the black and white. I saw the aspect ratio. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be another. Who's, look who's knocking at my door. It's going to be so pretentious and shitty. But I was immediately sucked in, and I, I really enjoyed it. So I'm kind of going 
back and forth. I think I'm going to go seven and a half claw hammers. That's good to the head. All right, that's pretty good. Yeah, I that's like pretty. It. That's I pretty high. It. I like it for me. It's really high. One thing about Nolan that I love is he's always referenced uh, his beginnings, and he always. Um, and for any filmmakers out there and for ourselves, uh, I love that he had mentioned that he didn't have any formal film school training. He ended up like a lot of stories that you hear taking his dad's super mm-hmm. eight camera. We all did that and yep. did stop motion and animation and some narrative shorts and things like that and just started filming stuff and it stuck with him and he always continued it. As he got older, he ended up getting a job doing a lot of kind of corporate media um, interviews with CEOs, just Mm -hmm. kind of stuff like that. But in this interview that I listened to, I love that he still referenced that. He said, what I loved about that is even though it wasn't that creative outlet I was aspiring for, I learned a lot. So I learned how to set up lights quickly. I learned various operations of the camera and I really learned how to be able to get into a situation and do something for little to no budget. So he was kind of cool because he was paying homage to that grounding or that, uh, the foundation that he had as, yeah. as a, as a corporate media guy. And that lent itself into this and he would just start shooting short films and things like that. He made a short film called Doodlebug. Doodlebug. Have you ever seen it? Nuh-uh. It's very short. It's three or four minutes. You should go watch it. It's called Doodlebug. It stars the same... It stars Bill. Does it? Uh-huh. And it's special effects kind of combo for the, for the time. It's really fun little short, three, four-minute short film. And then he did a couple other things and a couple other short films and then came into this. I love... Uh, once again, we talk about this a lot. I love the growth. I love seeing something. Uh, we all perceive Chris Nolan in with 2020 lens, uh, the year 2020, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we look at his past 20 years and we go, oh, we got like we talked about the, the Batman franchise, uh, Inception, Interstellar, right? We all kind of look at it that way, but I love the foundation here of this film. I think first time out the gate, pretty damn good yeah uh, yeah uh really well put together fun movie to watch like you mentioned some areas of convolution and confusion and now that we've talked through it i think i get that ending a little more uh, it's a little more solid uh, it's a little more solidified um i love the neo-noir look and feel yeah i do too it feels good it, it the, the atmosphere is great you can sense his homage to that era. Mm-hmm. And like we just mentioned all those little throwouts that he has. He's right. super educated when it comes to film history. And you sense that with his style of mm-hmm. this, which is like taking that crime and mystery thriller kind of noir feel and building it into a contemporary sense. I mean, even having the little details, like a, a really loud typewriter, you know, just those little things mm-hmm. just build the atmosphere a lot. Yep. So I'm in, I'm in on it. I like it a lot. I think it's a fun movie. Um, and I'm probably not as high on the list of... Nolan's probably not on my highest list of directors. Mm-hmm. I like him. I really do. 
but I'm still and every, what's funny is when you watch their films and do research about them, you become more infatuated with for them. Sure, for sure. And sure. it's almost like a timely thing because in a year from now, I may not feel that way. Right, right. And when I watched Interstellar I, originally, I was like, yeah. But this film was. <laughs> what's funny about that, by the way, we walked out of the Cinerama Dome. We'll bring it full circle because we we walked out of the Cinerama Dome and I went to Todd and Brandon. And I went, hey, look, there's a film school over there. Flash forward one year, I was teaching, you were at, teaching that, at that at, film at, school. At that exact film school. That's pretty cool. Um, but I, I, I'm not. He's probably not on my list of filmmakers in the top five. I mean, he might be. Yeah. But good film, well done, put together, editorially fantastic. Yeah. Like we talked about. I agree with you. I thought the acting was good. I was. Uh, I mean, Cobb's the best. Oh, by far. Cobb is amazing. And the, the funny thing is, he's not in acting at that's all. That's what we talk. Uh, he's not That's even, the bizarre he, thing. He, he, yeah. he delivers this stellar performance. He's great. He could have gone far. I almost, what I wonder about this too, because ultimately Nolan kind of builds his people and he works with them. You see mm -hmm. Tom Hardy, you see uh, Leo, whoever it is. He's kind or I mean, he does change it a little bit, but there are people that he kind of uses or reuses. Michael Caine or right, whatever it right. is, like, Cobb, the guy who played the actor who played Cobb, man, he could have really taken off his career. I know. I think Where he, is he now? He, well, he's an architect. It sounds like. Oh no, Cobb. Yeah, I thought you meant Bill. But Do you yeah, know what I mean? Right. Though, yeah. like, yeah. that he could have really killed it. He could have been Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey's character. Seriously, in, he would have done a great too. Yeah, he was a good actor. He, he was outstanding. So, um, I always like the villains the most, though. I just always have. It, they're always funner characters. They always are. They're they just always funner. Are. Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes got it uh, 80% critics, 85% audience. And then IMDb sitting at a 7.5. So that, once again, pretty good for yeah, IMDb. it is. I'm going to go in with a rating of 6.9. 6.9. Very specific. Um, I've been watching... I've been watching Barstool Sports. Yeah. You know Dave Portnoy? David Portnoy? I don't think hilarious. so. He does pizza reviews. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He cracks he, the, He's the, the, the owner of Barstool Sports, yeah. right? Yeah. He cracks me up so yeah. bad. He walks out, one bite, everybody knows the rules, and then he takes a bite, and then he goes, 6.3. <laughs> and, and, then, and then again, he says, one, he says it again, one bite, everyone knows the rules, it takes another bite. It takes five yeah. bites. Yeah, five bites, yeah. Exactly. I think he's hilarious. I've been, I've been seeing him come up on my social threads, and it's just funny to watch him. But I did, when I was watching him, I was like, I like it. I like the style. Because those one-tenth of points matter. Sure. So sure. I, I, I don't, and, and when people come they, in no, they do, to though. review with him, he goes, and they do a rounded number, he's like, that's weak. <laughs> no, they, they so, really do matter, though. But I, it does, yeah. I agree. And I, I wasn't. You, you take your scale from 20 to 100, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> 6.9 on 6 .9. following by Chris Nolan. 6.9 what? This is a 6.9 missing earrings. Missing ear. Okay. Pearl. Missing pearl earrings. Missing, missing pearl earrings. Yep. That means there's 6.9 found pearl earrings somewhere too. Maybe. <laughs> You're getting too complicated. I'm just trying to follow in Nolan's footsteps. That's all. Uh, this is the Tame Aperture Podcast uh, reviewing following by chris nolan uh go check us out at www.tameaperture.com 
Alan, thanks for bearing with me through this little bit of a convoluted mess to try to walk through in a linear fashion because it's not edited linearly. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to bitch out like Brandon. Yeah. I'm here. Brandon on the next cast, <laughs> he's 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 got to do something to make up for missing so many podcasts. I agree. I don't know what it is yet, but we'll put him through the, the fire. Whatever <laughs> He's going to have to tell some more incriminating stories. I he's think. got to incriminate himself live on air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's not too shy about doing it. He's okay. Caddyshack, he, he went on and on, man. He, uh, yeah, so go li- go to www.tameaperture.com, listen to our previous episodes, listen to Brandon incriminate himself on Caddyshack. <laughs> this is uh, tameaperture.com. Thanks, everybody, and tune in next week. Bye. The Tame Aperture Podcast is produced by Dutch Angle Pictures in association with Studio B Productions. Listen, watch, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube.